I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scripture to 2 Samuel chapter 9. As we progress through the book of Samuel, we've come to one of my favorite chapters in uh, both books of Samuel, first and second. Originally, it was one book. In the English version, we have two books. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here once again, the very Word of God. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this example from the Old Covenant, both of David, of Machir, of Mephibosheth, of Amiel, all of these people who showed great faith and are a testimony to us, an example for us. We pray, Father, we would learn well from these people what it means to show loving kindness in a covenantal way, both to our brethren and to those beyond this church. We thank You, Lord, that You give us this instruction that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might walk in His steps and that His kingdom might advance. And to that end, Lord, we pray this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Brethren, today, first of all, because I'm not feeling so well, I'm not sure how, how long I'll be able to go, so it might be a shorter sermon today. 
Uh, today's passage is quite appropriate for the season in which we're in, the season of Advent. And the reason I say that is we have very good examples in this passage of Emmanuel being with us, God being with us. When Jesus came to the, this earth, the prophet Isaiah said he will be called, his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And this passage, this passage in particular, shows us very good examples of what that means. And so I want you to be encouraged that though it's not a Christmas story necessarily, when we get to the end of the sermon, I hope you have a sense of what it means to to have God with us in our lives as we work out the salvation He's brought us to. This passage records the great mercy and covenant love David had for his friend Jonathan. It's been many years since Jonathan's death. We'll we'll look at that timeline in a little bit. But it's been at least 10 years and more likely 20 years since Jonathan's death. They had a very close relationship as brethren. Um, They weren't related necessarily, but Jonathan looked upon David as, as close as a brother. In two different occasions, as we'll see, they struck covenants with one another. And in one of the first covenant that we find in 1 Samuel chapter 13 or 18, I believe it is. 13 or 18, I forget the number. Uh, David is given Jonathan's robe. Now, Jonathan is the prince who's entitled uh, by birthright to the throne of Israel. And yet, in this covenant, Jonathan gives his robe to David, showing that he's giving his authority to David. Well, Jonathan likely already knew that Samuel had anointed him as king over Israel to secede uh, his father, Saul. And so Jonathan, embracing that notion, makes a covenant with David. He would make another covenant with David, and we'll look at that one too briefly in just a few moments. But that second covenant is a covenant of friendship that is likely the one that David refers to here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. What is also intriguing about the passage is David's not the only one who points to the redemptive work of Christ. David works redemption in the life of Mephibosheth, but he's not the only one doing that. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. And that is intriguing because this teaches us that, that God is all and in all. We often look for specific circumstances that seem to be reminiscent of maybe God's graciousness to us in salvation or maybe God's blessing to us as He blessed Israel at different times. But this particular passage teaches us something beyond that. That this is a never-ending story. That it permeates all of life in history. That God is at work in redemption with His people. And we're going to see that in just a minute. As we progress through the passage, it's easy to see David's likeness to our Lord. But we must remember that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. And we must remember that when the Apostle Paul speaks of our Lord being all in all and in us all, that he is referring to all things testifying to the person and work of Jesus, the Redeemer. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Why do I make such a big deal of this? 
we often live lives that are divorced from the notion that God is working His, His will through each moment of every day in our lives and in the circumstances in which we live. We're going to see that in the life of Mephibosheth in just a minute. But I want us to be encouraged that this, this, the folds that are on top or the layers of this, you know, onions have layers and you have to peel them off. You've got to peel off the outer layer to get to the, to the nice part of the onion. I don't care for onions, so none of it's really nice to me. But uh, I, other people really enjoy them, my wife being one of them. Uh, but it has many layers that often has to be peeled back. Uh, these days, I'm, I'm eating a lot of those clementine oranges, and I'm peeling off the outer layer. Well, I, that's part and parcel of the orange, that outer layer that's peeled away. But what I'm, I say that to say this, when we get into the, the depths of this chapter, we're going to see the layers of Christ working in the lives of men. Not just Mephibosheth, not just David, but Makir and Emil and Ziba. Today I want us to consider the covenant love David shows toward the offspring of Jonathan's house. In the midst of this covenant mercy that David is showing, I want us also to consider the mercy and grace exhibited by Makir toward Mephibosheth. Now this Makir is a different one than we just read about in, in Genesis chapter 50. But they share the same name. And I'm going to give you what that name means here in just a few minutes. Makir shows great mercy toward Mephibosheth. And then lastly, I want to, want to goad us to greater faithfulness by way of the model that David shows us in this passage on how he treats Mephibosheth. Okay, let's begin with David's covenantal love toward Mephibosheth. In verse 1 of the text, the entire scene of the chapter becomes the subject matter of this single verse. This is the summary, the... the uh, it is the thesis statement of the entire chapter. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David's posing that question. David has returned to Jerusalem from these... You'll remember last week that he, he had subdued nations throughout Israel to the Euphrates River and then southward down toward Egypt. All these different nations had been subdued. He'd been busy doing the work of subjugating those nations that were squatters in the, the promised land of Israel. Some of them were, were dispensed of completely. Others were made slaves. But he was about the work of the kingship of his domain. And now he returns to Jerusalem. And the, one of the purposes that he returns there is he's turning his attention from warring against other nations within his realm to civil needs, uh, both uh, the civil ones, the ones that deal with the state, as well as ecclesiastical needs. And of course in Israel, those things were meshed together very closely. They weren't divided as we see them today in our society. They were part and parcel of one another. You may recall that when David was being pursued by Paul, Saul, Jonathan sought David in the wilderness as his friend to make a covenant with him. And again, there were two covenants made between Jonathan and David. Uh, the first in uh, 1 Samuel 18 and the second in 1 Samuel 23. The one in 1 Samuel 18 is the one where David is given Jonathan's robe of, of authority in, in keeping, likely, Jonathan thinking that David's 
the one who's been anointed king of Israel to, to, to follow his father. So Jonathan has no need for that robe of authority. And he gives it to David. Think of that. Here's a man who, who by birthright, is going to be king. But understands by the will of God, it's different than that. He, 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 he's very different than the man named Ishbosheth. You remember Ishbosheth not too long ago? Ishbosheth is, is uh, Jonathan's brother, the one who survived after the, the Philistines had conquered Saul and his armies. Ishbosheth and, and uh, uh, um, um, Saul's uh, captain of his armies conspire to make Ishbosheth king over Israel. And he t- t- uh, sets up his kingdom on the east side of the Jordan River while David takes king, the kingdom on the west side, Judah and Benjamin, the two, small, uh, the two other tribes. And he is king over that portion of Israel for seven years while they enter into a civil war with one another. We're going to look at Ishbosheth's name too, as well as Mephibosheth. All of these people, we're going to find out what these names mean in just a few minutes. David has entered into a covenant with Jonathan many years prior to this time in chapter 9, and he's recalling to mind as he sits on the throne in Jerusalem, I made promises that I need to keep. Yes, Jonathan's dead, but the promises that I made to Jonathan were covenant promises, which don't end with Jonathan. They extend throughout his lineage. I have, I have a... I've made covenant promises. The word here in the Hebrew is, uh, uh, let me look it up here real quick. Hesed. It means covenant uh, love. It's a very strong word. There are other words that could have been used for kindness that I want to show to uh, Jonathan's uh, offspring, those who followed after Jonathan, but he uses the, the strongest word he could use. Covenant kindness, covenant love, has said. David took very seriously his covenantal promises. And now sitting on the throne of Israel, David remembers those covenants with Jonathan and he desires to honor them. David recognizes that he needs to find an heir of Jonathan to keep his covenant with Jonathan. And thus he summons Ziba, a former servant of Saul, to see if he knows the whereabouts of any of Jonathan's descendants. That's in verse 2. In verse 3, Ziba identifies the last remaining son of Jonathan, whose name is Mephibosheth. Now, the etymology of Mephibosheth's name, and yes, I'll probably stumble over that a couple of times before the sermon's over. The etymology of his name is interesting. His name means from the house of shame. That's what his name means, Mephibosheth. From the house of shame. Well, that's appropriate. Saul was a shameful man, wasn't he? Here was a man given the throne of Israel and he squandered it. Kind of reminds you of Esau, right? Jacob and Esau. Esau was promised the, uh, the, uh, the covenant blessing and he sold it for a pot of stew. It was probably porridge of some sort. We don't really know. But he sold it to his brother for very little as if to say, this is meaningless to me. And he was judged for that. And though he tried to repent before God, God said, no, you've looked down on my covenants, and consequently, 
you will be cut off. And Jacob receives the blessing. Esau, the curse. That covenant relationship is important. Well, Mephibosheth's name means from the house of shame. That's what his name means. Well, you'll remember he's got an uncle named Ishbosheth. Not too far from Mephibosheth, is it? Well, it's similar. Ishbosheth's name means man of shame. Man of shame. So here are two from the house of Saul. One the man of shame and one from the house of shame who are now, uh, Ishbosheth has died. He was murdered. David executes his murderers because they raised their hands against the king in Israel, even though he was an illegitimate king. Here, Mephibosheth, the man from the house of shame, we find has been identified by Ziba. Well, what does Ziba mean? Ziba's name means gazelle. This is the second reference to a gazelle that we've had in the book of 2 Samuel. You remember, or actually, I guess it was at the end of, or no, it was in 2 Samuel. Azahel, Azahel uh, tried to, to uh, uh, overtake Abner and kill him. Abner being the, the uh, chief general of Saul. And uh, Abner warned him, if you try to overtake me, I'm going to kill you. And he came up and he was, his nickname was Gazelle because he was so fleet of foot. And, of course, Abner kills him. And then uh, Joab, Daniel, David's uh, king, uh, has Abner put to death. And Joab becomes a curse in David's life. And we'll see that more in just a couple of chapters. We saw some of it last week, but we'll see it again. Ishbosheth, Mephibosheth are shame, men of shame because of the house of Saul. Nevertheless, David wants to give something to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, the man from the house of shame, because of the covenant that he had with his, his father, Jonathan. Now, but going, before going any further into the story, I want to briefly go back to verse 1 and draw your attention to the word kindness. I've already identified it. said, which means covenantal kindness in the Old Covenant. David said in verse 1, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show covenantal kindness or love for Jonathan's sake? The word here for kindness, the Hebrew word has said, is used three times in the chapter. You can look through the chapter and find all three, uh, three references. It's a, it's a continuing thought of David that this notion of covenantal kindness needs to be worked out to the lineage of Jonathan. By virtue of David using this strong word for kindness in contrast to a lesser word for kindness, we see that David is serious about what he talks with Mephibosheth. This is a covenant that I've made with your father that's going to redound to you. Now, this is not, no, this is not a tertiary covenant. This is not a thing that has little consequence. We're going to see the consequences in a minute. But the mere fact that David emphasizes this three times in this chapter, both to Ziba as well as Mephibosheth, says that David's intent was focused. It was sincere. 
It was, it was not a passing thought. This was a primary thought to David. There's another aspect of covenantal love that is expressed in David's action. Brethren, covenantal love is proactive. Covenantal love takes the initiative. It is a love that acts upon the covenant with profound grace and mercy. David did not wait to learn of Mephibosheth's existence. He sought it. He went after Mephibosheth. He didn't even know the man's name. But he went after Mephibosheth. That was David's intent. That shows how serious he was about keeping this covenant. And doing so before the face of God. David took the initiative to seek and find and bless Mephibosheth before he even knew the name of the surviving heir of Jonathan. And before moving on to the applications, I want us to consider Mephibosheth's circumstances that he came out of because here again we see Christ magnified before us. We don't see it so clearly because we're North Americans who don't speak Hebrew, who have no familiarity with these names and their meanings. But as I share that with you, I think you'll see that God was at work in the life of Mephibosheth long before David came along to bestow these many great blessings. Okay, think back with me to 2 Samuel chapter 4 where we learned of Mephibosheth for the very first time. You recall he was five years of age. He was fleeing for his life with his nursemaid. And he fell in that fleeing and both of his feet became lame. Commentators wonder, was it a, uh, some kind of neurological uh, uh, injury, maybe a neck or a lower spine injury or some other thing? We, we know that he fell, and because of that, he lost the use of his feet. It's likely some kind of paralysis. He's five years old when this happens. Nothing more is said of Mephibosheth until chapter 9, where we are today. And here we learn that Mephibosheth is residing in the home of Machir, the son of Amiel, in the Transjordan town of Lodabar. According to verse 12, Mephibosheth now has a young son. So it's very likely he's been at this place for 20 years. Very likely. Or nearly 20 years. Remember, he was five years old when we first saw him, and now he's older and has a son. Well, what is important about these people in this town? These people being Makir, Amiel, and the town Lodabar. Let's begin with the town. The name of the town, Lodabar, literally means no place or no pasture. This is a small town in an obscure place in Israel, and literally it's called Nowhere. Now, that, that would be a funny sign for us to see, wouldn't it? But that's what it was called. Lodabar means nowhere or no pasture. And as for the home in which Mephibosheth is staying, it is owned by a man who, was t- who has taken pity on Mephibosheth. His name is Makir. This man's name means bought, purchased, or redeemed with money. Bought, purchased or redeemed with money. Now, we don't know whether he was adopted by his father or not. It could be that he was adopted and therefore got this name purchased by money. Because often that would be part of the transaction of adoption. 
Even today, that's the case. We don't know, though, why he got this name. His father's name, Amiel, means God is my kinsman. God is my kinsman. Now let's consider this circumstance as a whole. Mephibosheth, the man from the house of shame, is living in a nowhere town, Lodabar, in the home of one who is redeemed with money, Makir, and whose father's name is God is my kinsman, Amiel. Truly, Mephibosheth is already experiencing the mercy and grace of God in his life. Makir, Mephibosheth's host, host, has taken upon himself the burden of Mephibosheth, a lame man, to care and provide for him. He must have been a man of some means because later in 2 Samuel, we shall see him giving aid to David when David is pursued by Absalom. But what is more important is the self-sacrifice that Makir exhibits toward Mephibosheth. Makir too, he too is exhibiting hesed or covenantal loving kindness. The kind of loving kindness that David speaks of three times in the same chapter. Makir's acts to provide for Mephibosheth in his poverty and inability are evidences of loving kindness. Makir has no idea that David will one day elevate Mephibosheth to the king's table. He has no idea. Yet, he understands the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Makir no doubt learned this from Leviticus 19.18 because when Jesus says that, he's quoting from the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself, the second great commandment that we've already said this morning in worship. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Makir has been redeemed and lives in the house of the kinsman of God, Amiel. Makir provides for Mephibosheth, his covenantal brother. All of this happening in an obscure little town in an obscure part of Israel. He's not doing it for accolades. He's not doing it for self-esteem. He's doing it because he loves the Lord. And he wants to treat Mephibosheth as himself. Makir, like his father, is a kinsman of God and a redeemer. The redeemer of Mephibosheth. So it could be said that Makir is the quintessential kinsman redeemer. That is who Christ is to us. We're insignificant, and we're going to see this a little bit in just a little bit with Mephibosheth. We are insignificant people in an insignificant place, and we're lame to the point we can't even care for ourselves. And God, in His grace and mercy, reaches down and lifts us up to His table, the table of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, it's from these circumstances that Mephibosheth is summoned to the court of the king. He lives in Nowheresville, or Berg, whatever you want to call it. He lives in a house where grace and mercy are profound. He's been cared for abundantly 
before, beyond his expectations because he cannot care for himself. And now all of a sudden, Ziba shows up on the doorstep and says, the king wants to see you. Now, we don't know what went through Mephibosheth's mind, but my guess is he feared for his own life. After all, he's of the house of Saul. And Saul tried to take David's life on numerous occasions. I want to come back to the notion of covenants. Brethren, covenants have meaning. They are to result in action. Covenants are to result in action. Covenants are not mere checklists to see if we are in obedience to God. They are benchmarks of sta- or standards of obedience. Yes, I will say that. But merely keeping the external expressions of God's law without living out the spirit of the law, Jesus condemned as false piety. Moreover, he called the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers for that very kind of legalism. You can have it on the external, but there may be death on the inside. Consider the expression of David's covenantal loving kindness toward Mephibosheth. This is what David thought of was covenantal kindness. That kindness that he had promised to Mephibosheth's father, Jonathan. David sought Mephibosheth before he even knew his whereabouts to show mercy and grace to him. Verse 1. Then David sent Ziba, the gazelle, to Machir's home to bring out Mephibosheth. I told you I'd stumble over that. This should be no surprise. Someone should have, would have to bring him out as he was lame. Somebody would have to bring him back to David. That was a proactive act, and David sent somebody to do that. David restores him to him the lands of not only Jonathan, but his grandfather Saul, and gives him a prominent place at the king's table in verse 7. David, knowing Mephibosheth's limitations, in addition to giving him these lands, which no doubt were, were great, they were the lands of Saul. Not only does he give him those lands, he, gives them, he provides him no less than 36 servants to Mephibosheth to care for his newly acquired property in verses 9-11. through 11. The 15 sons of Ziba, Ziba himself, that's 16, and the servants. 20. 36 people to care for these newly found properties, this new inheritance. And then lastly, David declares that Mephibosheth's place at the king's table is equivalent to that of his own sons, a place of the highest honor. That should, immediately in your mind, you should think, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's what should pop right into your head. Brethren, David's example to us is the very example of our Lord Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. David sought out Mephibosheth and elevated him to the heights of Israel, the table of the king. David gave Mephibosheth lands and inheritance for he and his posterity. In Mephibosheth's weakness, David gave him the means to cultivate and subdue the inheritance he had received. And this was all done 
by the second kingsman redeemer in Mephibosheth's life. Remember I said this is like an onion with many layers? It's happened again. Mephibosheth already had this with Machir, and now he got it in greater portion with David. God's grace and mercy toward us is no different than that of David toward Mephibosheth. My question to us is this. Do we, you and I, practice the same kind of kinsman-redeemer ways that Machir and David practice in our passage today? Do we seek out opportunities to show God's covenantal loving kindness to our brethren and to others? David sought a kinsman to show this kindness to. And he was lame in life and in spirit. And that's what we're going to get to as our last observation. But before I go there, he did this that, he, that we might see what it means to have the hesed of God. The covenantal loving kindness of God toward others. That kind of loving kindness is to be lived out by us. Not merely claimed as a possession, but to result in action. And that's what covenant love does. One last observation needs to be made from our passage. Notice Mephibosheth's posture and attitude in verses 6 and 8. Mephibosheth, when coming into the presence of David, fell prostrate on his face. This particularly is important because he likely would need help to get up. Remember, he's lame a foot. In other words, he made the most humiliating gesture he could before the king. He fell on his face. Not even able to get up on his own. Trusting that that provision would be made for him. In verse 8, he likens himself to a dead dog. A worthless creature of little importance. Dead animals are worthless. And not even dead dogs have a hide that is useful to be harvested. This is the worst of the worst. A dead dog. Mephibosheth is remarkably humble in the presence of the king. And it is the king who lifts him up. And this is the promise that we have from our king, the king of the universe. From James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Brethren, humility results in redemption. Humility results in redemption. To be redeemed means to become a kinsman redeemer. To be like the redeemer. To make intercession for others. As David did for Mephibosheth. As Machir did for Mephibosheth. And kinsman redeemers show has said before the Lord. Loving kindness to others before the Lord. And that is our calling. May each of us pursue loving kindness in a covenantal way with one another and those outside our fold. That Christ's kingdom may advance and be strengthened and He be glorified. Let us pray together.